Okay, cool. We're recording. So this chapter has one of my favorite quotes, probably my favorite quote in the whole book, which is, I don't know, maybe recency bias from having read it, but I always come back to work the team, then the problem. And that's so poignant for me. I mean, it's just so rare that you have a team that is incompetent. Like the, it's different if you're on these like super high performing fields and you think, okay, there's no way this team's going to win the Super Bowl or, or you're trying to do solve some problem that's never been solved before. But by and large, it's like every team I've been on in my career has been plenty capable. They've been plenty bright. We've had lots of failures and those failures have been systemic from the team and the individual connections themselves, not the fact that we just could not figure out how to solve a problem. And so I really like this quote around working the team and then the problem, making sure you get the people right, headed in the right direction, and then everything becomes so much easier. Yeah, that was the big part of this chapter too for me was the, I think there was a, somebody was talking about what they learned from Bill when he worked the problem second after he worked the team. He said that what he learned is that we didn't talk about the problem analytically. We talked about the people on the team and if they could get it done. And that 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 really just blew my mind. I, I'd read this once before, but reading it again, that really stuck out to me because, I don't know, I feel like I oftentimes just think about the problem analytically as opposed to thinking about the team. That's, a, that's just a very different paradigm. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right, man. The... I believe this, like I've read this before, I, it resonates with me deeply. I'm wired much more team-oriented than analytical anyway. And so like I have all the genetic makeup to just do this by default, and I don't. I do exactly what mm. you do. Interesting. Which is like as soon yeah. as there's an issue, just like go into, what's the, I heard a term like rapidly try to like create order out of mm. chaos, and maybe it's better to, not try to so quickly create order and it might be better to let things sit and get the right pieces in place, something like that. But yeah, it is, it is a little frustrating because I, I feel like I should be much, much better at this and it's so important and I really agree with it, but I'm just, I'm the same way, man. I, I just try to diverge so quickly or I guess converge on the yeah. solution so quickly. Igor, do you, do you default to thinking about the, problem analytically or do you think about the team first i no, i default to thinking about the the problem because that i I guess that's the thing that has the aura of urgency around it and just like robert like i think i have the tools to think about the team first but for whatever reason that's just not where i default like it's my learn learned behavior over time i guess has, has taught me to to be problem first that must be it. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm being pragmatic. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe there's a patience issue or something. But like all the other elements that it says in the chapter too, like picking the right players, surrounding yourself with really good people, having people with the right characteristics, coachable, like all of those things. Pairing people together properly to for to maximize growth. We have all those components in place, but. It's just, I, I don't know, like it's maybe character flaw. It, it It's both inspiring and, and extremely like a big bummer yeah. feeling how big of a gap there is between where I feel like I should be and where I am in this particular 
space. I don't know, Rob, Robert, you and I probably identify more as like engineers. So we, I think we're, we, we might be wired and that's why we selected into this sort of career, but we've also been trained to solve problems. Igor, do you? And, and been rewarded for doing and, that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Igor, do you identify as a engineer at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have like a business background and I did a lot mm-hmm. of design and product management and stuff, but I, I do think of myself as like an architect. Yeah. And so I, I tend to think in systems, I tend to think analytically, even when I'm applying that to, to like design things. So I, I, yeah, I tend to think of myself as, as an engineer in that way. My tendency though, just happens to always go to ask if we're like working the right problem. I mm. b- before working the problem, I think that's the thing that I that I do default to is it's still working the problem. <laughs> it's yeah, not yeah. working yeah. the people, but it's always the question like because I've been in the room so many times where we're all jumping on the problem solving train, and it very quickly becomes apparent that the problem that we're all spending so much energy on is not actually the problem that needs to be addressed. It's just the problem that's most apparent. And so I do have a tendency to to ask the team to step back and at least consider, are we working on the right thing yet? Yeah, and, and maybe another... I'm trying to give myself, my brain, like reasons to operate in a more work-the-team-than-the-problem mentality. So this is, this is a little me thinking out loud, but there's this idea like when you're writing code for instance you can code yourself into a corner if you're not careful so if you get a problem you take a new feature to build and even if you're super intelligent around the system and how everything works together and you know the ins and outs and you're very effective at writing software in this code base and you start typing and coding if you're not careful you'll just work yourself into this logic error you won't be able to connect two things together or get information from another place and then you're stuck and you have to do really weird stuff to get out of it. And then in rock climbing, I think it's called rim rocked, where you, you're you going up a mountain or a cliff face or whatever, and you get you work yourself to a point where you cannot go up or down at all. It's like super dangerous. And so you have to plan things out and, and look ahead a little bit more. And so I think that happens with teams and with careers and things like that, where you, you essentially get rim rocked. And jumping in and focusing on the problem, one is super reactive. I mean, it might feel good. Maybe that maybe there's an ego piece in there, Charles, I don't know. It feels good. There's a lot of energy, but you're no one's moving in the same direction. You don't have enough purpose and and structure to the solution. So there can be a lot of divergence around what ha- what actually happens. And I think that's that's pretty dangerous and you know, if you go back to I'm I'm trying to pair some things together, but like Jocko Willink who we all read and love. He said that the first report from the field is always wrong. And this, these are like Navy SEALs, super, super well-trained for combat situations that are sending in messages over the radio that are life and death. And he knows that they're wrong or incomplete, which is crazy. Cause it's like, if in this like expert area, you get, you would think that the information you have coming in would be correct. And so if you pair those ideas of the, the initial information you're getting as a leader is probably wrong, incomplete, lacks context, 
you have this idea of rim rocking like yourself or a team. If you go into solution, into climbing, and trying to be practical and solve the problem at the same time, and with a little bit of reprobing to see, okay, do, do I really understand this correctly? Let me test a couple of questions. Let's get all the right people in place and, and moving in the same direction. That takes more upfront care and intentionality, but it's not, a, it's not impossible. It's not like people do that, align groups of people all the time. Like that's a solved problem. But then going through that exercise really seems like you're going to create better long-term results. It's just, uh, you got to get the human out of the way, I guess, which in, in this case is me. The thing that is really starting to jump out at me about a, a problem that this mindset, like the work the team first mindset solves, it's, it's the accountability problem. When, when we take this work the problem first mentality, which is what the book is advising us not to do, I think everybody has the capability and the probably internal desire to analyze the problem, understand that and think about root cause and start the solution for it. But when everybody is working the problem, then nobody's accountable. It's like, even if you get to a shared understanding of like, ah, oh, yeah, this is the problem to solve, you're still left with, okay, who's, who's actually going to go and solve it now? But what I love about, and, and also what's scary about this too, like I, as I was thinking about this, just in the situations that we find ourselves with on our, our leadership team, it's like there's some fear associated with this too. Because if you work the team first, essentially what you're doing is saying, okay, there's this really complex problem. There's a lot of uncertainty here back to your, hey, the information is wrong. You know, that, that to me, that just signals that there's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity here. And we're going to identify a set of people who are going to go essentially be accountable for solving this problem. That that obviously seems like the right thing to do from an accountability standpoint, right? Don't let everybody weigh in on this is the problem. This is what we think about it. Just pick the select few, the right ones, make sure that they're set up for success the best you can, and then just and then just walk away and let them work like that. As a manager, that seems like the right thing to do. As somebody who has been tagged to go solve, try to solve that problem, that that's a little bit a little bit scary. But also, I think when done correctly, it can be very exhilarating too. You've been empowered to say, you know what, this is on you, right? It's like we have faith and trust in you to go work with these other people to solve the problem. Like I, yeah, that when I think about that, that that's that's pretty exciting. Like I, I want to be, I want to be tapped on the shoulder and say, hey, given this situation, you're you're the right player to be out there on the field to run this play, to execute this play, and we've got your back, and we believe in you, and no one else is going to get in your way and try to tell you what what to do. I mean that that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and Bill Campbell talks about hearts and smarts. Like ability to learn fast, willingness to work hard, integrity, team first attitude, those kind of things around when you're trying to pick the right players. And that'll give you, having th thought through that, will also give you some context into some maybe motivato, motiv motivational context into why you're picking the person and, and what you're looking for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. That makes a lot of sense. Igor, I'm pausing for you to chime in, dude. Yeah, I think I think this is this is a good way to help enforce uh, learning and delegation too, right? Because then you're not mucking about in the in the problem, and you're really coaching and helping the team. Like I think I think this is like really the core of what we're trying to get with here about this concept of working the team is if you work the team, you're by default delegating to the team and you're supporting them. You could delegate the team and delegate the problem to the team and not work the team, right? You could just say, hey, go solve it, right? But if you're actively working the team as they're solving it, that's delegation plus the right level of coaching to support that delegation to be successful. So you're like encouraging organizational learning and growth and development for your team members. And you're also creating sort of space and scale for yourself to solve problems with whoever your team is. And maybe your your boss, supervisor, director, whatever, is working you and your team while you're solving other sort of problems. Or maybe you're solving team problems. And those are the things that that you're being helped with. So... I I think it's definitely a good attitude, and I think there is just a bit of like dopamine in like going to the problem rather than going to the team, and it's it's something that really makes me reflect and want to like wean myself off of that mindset because it, it's probably holding back like my ability to coach and develop the team. So those my two cents on 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 that side of it. Mm-hmm. I think. I'm curious what y'all think too, because this is paired with advice later in the chapter around solving the biggest problem. And this is another thing I don't do by default. So some of this feels counterintuitive to me where I'm very much in the boat of, especially in new environments or if there's a little bit of a crisis going on, this idea of quick wins. What can you do to plant your flag and say, hey, we did something good here. Everyone look at that. Let's get some momentum going. But in this, they're saying, identify the biggest problem, the elephant in the room, bring it front and center, and tackle it first, which is an interesting approach. I I don't know that I disagree. It's just, again, not something that I do by default. I was curious what y'all thought about that. I I never really understood this, the concept of quick wins. Like, I, I know that's like a very common suggestion of like, hey, if you're working a space, find some... Some find some quick wins, and I was like, okay, I, I like. I guess I I took it. It's one of those things that's like gets offered as very reasonable advice that maybe you don't question, but it but it never. It was never one of those things that I was like, oh yeah, of course, quick wins. Why didn't I think of that? It, it was always like quick wins. Okay, I guess. It, it seems logically, it seems that you should want to work the big problem first because that's the problem that has the biggest risk. And if if you can't figure that out early enough, then it doesn't matter how many quick wins you get because that big problem will stop you from getting over, getting to the place where you want to go. Yeah. Bruce has brought this up before. I know he would agree with you. Like basically solve the hardest thing first. Like in any kind of delivery or whatever project engagement you're on, he's advocated before to to tackle the, the gnarliest problem up front. So you're in good company. Is quick wins kind of like maybe in like nascent relationships? 
or like low trust environments, like you need those quick wins to build trust in the bank. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe is is that why you would want to go for for quick wins? I don't know though, because in the book, I mean, bringing the, the examples they use of bringing this sort of these gnarly problems, normally people problems, right, front and center, is or like people saying things are political as a proxy for something's gone sideways. It was still that the indication was to, or the inclination, I guess, was to bring it up in front of everybody. I don't know. That's that's a really good question, though. And I guess it also depends, yeah, what your relationship is, how nascent it is, what if there's been trust issues in the past, like with other people or with you. I, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to not justify though my default mode of having quick wins and and tr- really trying to rethink like if this makes sense for the long term. Like, should I start reorienting my focus and teams against solving? the biggest problem ahead of us. I don't know. It's a completely different ordering mechanism though. Well, I, th- I think I think when we talk about quick wins at least in our in our field, it's usually once the problem has been relatively defined and agreed upon and and we're in we're in the problem solving mode. Like we're we're actually delivering and trying to make progress on solving it. That I think that's usually how I how I think about it. And so to me, it's associated with rapid progress. Hey, let's show progress is being made, right? To, to get people comfortable with, hey, we're on the right track. We're going to adhere to the schedule and we figure things out. So to me, it's like a signal of confidence to stakeholders. But I think the trap that people get into is that oftentimes, well, the path of least resistance will be the quick win is just the easiest thing to do. And so what's the easiest thing that you can do to show progress, but really you're just showing activity, right? It doesn't actually yes. mean you're chipping away at the highest value thing or the most complex thing or the elephant in the room, which they talked about in the, in the book. And so I, th- I think, so I, I, I do think it gets vastly misused in that regard, right? It's just a, it's a sign of activity, mm, doesn't really lend itself towards showing value or material progress working these really complex big problems but i i think i think you can apply the same mentality to i i think you just have to define what the win is right i think people default to a quick win is just something that you can show to demonstrate progress but a quick win could also be hey here is our kind of tying this to what you're talking about, Igor, around organizational or institutional learning. The quick wins could be a series of like, hey, here's our perspective on this big problem and show how it's evolving and how that's in that's informing you know, our thoughts on how to solve it. Right. I I don't know. I'm just in a rambling mood, but <laughs> I think we all are. Charles, yeah. you're onto something though. The the trap. There is a quick win trap, mm-hmm. which is in actual, it looks like progress, but in actuality, it is a path of least resistance that only like the sum of all of that activity is, or uh, of all of that work is just activity, yeah. right? It's just, it's surface level. And so I think that makes a lot of sense is to avoid activity and path of least resistance when you're faced with sticky problems. And 
making rapid progress or chunking your approach to solving a really hairy problem is probably fine and maybe even preferable, but mm-hmm. you really have to make sure that you are solving the most important, biggest, hairiest, elephant in the room type problem. Yeah. And I think we, we as an organization, we do a pretty good job of thinking about quick wins as quick shows of value. Right? We, we talk a lot about that internally when we're designing our approaches and we're, we're managing delivery. And so I, I think we do a pretty good job on not falling into that trap. But I do think we, we sometimes don't ask the question, it's a quick win for whom? Like, who is this quick win for? Like, who are we trying to deliver this quick win for? Is it our primary stakeholder? Is it our end users of the product? Right? Is it the, is it the customer? And so, so I, I don't know if in the book they talk about that. I think they just largely talk about what is the team focused on, l- less about the, the problems and the stakeholders involved there. Yeah, and usually they're the human-centric things people avoiding talking about stuff because it's awkward. So there, there is a, maybe a bit, a bit more of a narrow focus in the chapter here, but it does seem like it's more widely applicable. And we may be just like a little off here too because of the nature of our work, right? We're consultants, we're in the professional services space. And so problems actually probably mean something different to us than they do for like internal organizations. And by the time that an organization is calling an advisor, they've probably picked over all the real quick wins. And you don't, you don't usually don't call a consultant or an advisor until you've hit some sort of block that you can't resolve yourself, you know, for whatever reason. And so by the time we're called in, probably all the real, like real quick wins are like picked over. And so our quick wins are like quick shows of value because when, whenever you are calling a consultant to help you with your problem, the clock starts running for, for that consultant and it's, it's measured in patience, mm. right? Yeah. And if, there's, if there is no show of value from the consultant sooner rather than later, the patience tends to run out usually because the hourly rate is pretty high. And so you've, you've set expectations. And, and so in, in our case, a lot of times... When I think of problem solving, uh, I tend to think of like solving the system. And like, there's this idea that if, if basically, if you work anything but the bottleneck in the system, you're actually not like making anything better. If, you, if you're thinking, you can very abstractly think of, think of most things as a factory system because, you know, you're trying to get something from one state to another state, right? And you do that through a series of processes. And so systems theory basically says if if you're working anything but the bottleneck, you're not actually improving any of the output, right? Because that's where everything's getting held up. And by the time we're called, the bottleneck that needs to be worked is probably pretty complicated or maybe even pretty complex. And, And so we tend to see like the gnarly problem that nobody else really, they, they've probably seen it. They probably just don't want to touch it. <laughs> because, right? Like as, as consultants, we, we rely on data that we get from customers about where they're experiencing the problem and bring our own sort of tool set to it. And so maybe it's our jobs 
that are coloring our interpretation of this particular point in the chapter. And and maybe it's not applicable to to a lot of the people that don't work in consulting. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. The one part that bringing it back to some of the behaviors that we would need to exhibit if we were to take this work the team, then the problem mentality that really boggles my mind. And I don't, I don't, I don't know, maybe we can explore this collectively. But in, in the chapter itself, it said Bill's approach was to focus on the team, not the problem. He never even offered an opinion on the relative merits of each side's case, even though he was quite knowledgeable about the issue. That blows my mind. Yeah, me too. I was just about to bring that up. I highlighted another case where it's like he spotted a fundamental tension that was not getting resolved and forced the issue to to talk about it, mm-hmm. but didn't have a clear, it says that he didn't have a clear opinion on how to resolve the matter yeah, or on which team this particular product had belonged. It's like it, the decision had to be made, but it's the same. It's, it's another data point. Like he, he had an opinion. Mm-hmm. He just didn't force it. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's connected to, and then I'll, I'll stop and maybe we can explore this a little bit more. It's connected to another thing that it says he, he said, in regard to this, he said, don't worry, we have the right team in place. They are working the problem. It's like, wow, how much confidence he has. Right? And uh, yeah, confidence in just, there's like a relaxed nature to that phrase. It's like, hey, don't worry about it. We got the right people on the team. That would be a really interesting question, like as a manager or a leader. It's like, would you be able to confidently say, hey, don't worry. We have the right team in place. They are working the problem. And if not, right, there's probably some diagnostics that you could do to figure out why you can't make that statement. And I think and, and if you can, if that's an affirmative yes, then get the heck out of the way. Get the heck out of the way. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what I was oh gonna say. Gosh. I bet I bet yep. what we'll find is that we are getting in the way of saying that. And uh, and it's because this chapters oh, go ahead. Go ahead well, it, it just I just always offer my opinion. You yeah. know, on a on a problem or a subject, it's just Same. like wow. Like of I, course. Yeah. This, I feel like that's wild. what we get paid to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <is> to offer opinions. <laughs> yeah. This chapter is a complete indictment to my style. Like I feel like chapter two that we spent forever on was I was really vibing with it. This one is hard to read because the standard is like I I, I feel like it's right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do it as well as I should. This is this one's tough as we're talking about it. I didn't quite put all that together until we started chatting about it. And now I feel feel like a bit of a loser, to be honest. Well, I mean, I I think it's it's we had talked about this before in some other chapters. He's he's playing a different game. Right? Like he he's all about coaching the team, not coaching individuals, and he's just operating at a at a different not just operating at a different level, but he's solving a different problem. Like that, there was something else they talked about here. It's that team building, I think we tend to agree is important for those that are hands on keyboard doing the work in our, in our field. But he was operating at the highest levels of some of the greatest companies that have ever existed. And it's, it's really hard to build a team of senior level executives where ego and ambition really play in. And at that level, I think the norm is to have individual coaches 
like ex- executive coaches, maybe external to the firm. But he he was just he's just doing something different. Right? He's like, nope, I'm coaching the team, and as a result, I have to work with and influence the individuals. But it's really the team that he's got the focus on. And when you, or at least when I try to embrace that mindset, this makes so much sense, and it and it it makes it clear as to why you need to behave differently. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a lot of rewiring. Charles, is that your doorbell? Yeah, that's my doorbell. Amazon or food or what? I don't know. It's somebody still standing out there. Yeah, there was a story in there about Eric Schmidt. I think when he he wanted to step down, or he wanted to quit Google because he was being asked to step down as, as CEO. No, step down as chairman. I think chairman of the board. And he went and talked to to Bill Campbell about it. And Bill went away and thought about it for a couple of days. And he was like, you know what? No, you can't, you can't quit. The company needs you. The team needs you. You need to stay. Stay as CEO for a few years. And then I will work to get you reinstated as a chairman. And you got to put your ego aside. You got to do what's right for the team. And Eric Schmidt did it. Like, that's... That's un- that's unheard of. And, and an individual executive coach would be like, Eric, yeah, you do what's best for you as an individual. They're, they're not going to be thinking about that is hundred percent right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh-huh. that, yeah, that's what I mean. Is just operating at a different plane and and on a he's playing a different game completely. You know, yeah, you're team, right. It's almost coaching. like almost like violating. If, if he was, he, he never, I think, said I'm an individual's coach. I, I think all that was clear before, but yeah, you're right. If, if this was just an individual's coach yep. and they, yep. you could almost get into trouble, I think, for mm-hmm. advocating mm-hmm. for not things that are not in the, maybe the best interest of the person you're coaching. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Robert, we talked about this like game theory, right? Like we're working the team rather than working for the interest of the team rather than working for the interest of the individuals. It's it's like applying game theory to to coaching, right? It's like the the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, I, I, or they I, slice the cake, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like we're gonna slice the cake seventy thirty, and we really need you to take the thirty percent here for the for the good of the the team. Like that's a really hard, that's a tough sell. Yeah, but look what happened. I mean, one of the best run companies in the world. Like these little inflection points of the IPO and then needing a different chairman, whether it's the right move or not, it was like widely perceived as the right move. So what kind of fissure could that have created if, especially if Eric quit, but because they basically mm-hmm. brought him in to be quote unquote adult supervision to Larry Page and Sergey Brin, right? Like he was the seasoned CEO that could move things forward and, and go through the IPO and things like that. So that could have ended catastrophically. And again, not because anyone lacked competence, but it would have the Fisher would have stemmed from a human design, if that makes sense. Charles, to go back to your point too, Sundar Pichai said, had that quote around, when I became CEO of Google, Bill advised me that at that level, more than ever before, you need to bet on people, choose your team, and think much harder about that. Like, so that's pretty, like if you're, if you're thinking about actionable things, tackling the elephant in the room, building up your team really well, putting a lot more energy into, into coaching and feedback, Filling the communication gaps between people. It's another part of the chapter. Yep. Making sure that is really humming because you're going to need the team to go and do hard things together. And you're removing yourself out of it too, which, man, that's, yeah. When you said that, that was such a foreign concept to me, but it made sense. 
I think we had talked about team coaching before, but I think my mental model of what that means is just different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It might, yeah. It's still, it's still evolving and now it's creating tension with our current mental model around individual coaching. This thing, like I'm trying to get into Bill's head. It's like he, I, I initially thought he must really care about Google, right? To be able to tell Eric Schmidt, no, you can't leave. You got to stay. Have that tough conversation. He wasn't doing it for Eric, but it, I don't really think he cares about Google. I think he just cares about the team. Like Bill just really, really cares about the team. And like, I'm, I'm trying to think, it's like, what, what is my, what's going to be a compelling enough reason for me to do this work, to shift my mentality to working the team, then the problem. And I think it has to just be for the team, for the team's sake. Like this is the right thing to do for the team, no matter what the problem is, no matter what the situation is, no matter who the individuals are. Like at that moment, it's like the the team is the is the first class citizen, and it 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 needs to be upheld above all else. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the the game and the problems that. Bill was pointing the team towards equaled business success, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's that's more of the tie-in versus it's a, I don't know, like yeah, maybe the way Igor you were thinking of it earlier around systems theories, like you're changing the rules versus trying to work from the inside out, like affect your will on on the system, which is the team or the organization. Maybe that is a better way to think about it. Yeah, I found here. Bill's guiding principle was that the team is paramount, and the most important thing he looked for and expected was a team-first attitude. Teams are not successful unless every member is loyal and will, when necessary, subjugate their personal agenda to that of the team. That the team wins has to be the most important thing. It's like, wow. And I think that just like comes, I, comes from his background, Charles. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you don't win or lose as an individual when you're playing he's a basketball coach right football sorry i'm, I'm football, yeah, football. football. sorry football yeah anyway <laughs> in football you know you don't win as an individual you win as a team where you lose as a team igor's like same sport same, uh, yeah same i mean team. they they <laughs> look they carry around the ball around some sort of field right and they sure. they throw it to each other okay well, so, we'll yeah we'll <laughs> let you we'll let that slide yeah and so for him this is like natural Right for for him, there is there is no like individual, like the the team wins or it doesn't win, and I think that's super applicable to to business, right? Like like who cares if you individually had a good year if the rest of the company had a terrible year? Because at the end of the day, the company's being judged on its performance, and everyone's everyone's in the same boat. And I think when you don't have that sort of attitude, that's when you can get some real toxic behavior and and, and just crossed reward systems and things like that. So it probably, it probably came from his football background because you, you don't like coach individual players, right? Yeah, I mean, um, you dive in on occasion when necessary or when it, that's like the, the stuck cog and you come in and like get that one person like unstuck. But yeah, I think you're mostly thinking about the team and the different players and the archetypes and how they all work in unison. And there's probably some tendency among players to want to be standout 
players and to be like individually excellent and sometimes at maybe the cost of the team. Right. So maybe Oh yeah, for sure. If you're in like a contract year, for instance. Yeah, you may you may make decisions that are they call them business decisions, right? Like you don't take a hit, you just step out of bounds and you miss the first down, those kind of things, because you're in a contract year and you're trying not to get hurt or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But then you're you're totally letting the team down. And who who wants who wants that person to be on their team? Like who wants to be in the boat together with that person who's gonna not take the hit or whatever it is and like let the team team down? Like I I don't I don't want to be on the team with that person. I don't care if it's their contract year or not. And so like that sort of behavior just completely spoils the the team dynamic and trust and everything else. Yep. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I do think may- I want to adopt more of that mindset, though, of like, it's about the team winning. And that that's also a, an interesting question for managers and leaders is just ask yourself, is every member on your team loyal? Do you think they're loyal? And if not, like, why? And first look at yourself to see if you haven't been doing the things that you need to do to make sure that they that they they are loyal to the team and they are focused on winning as a team. That's a man. These are some real. Th- there's a lot of things in this chapter where you can you can write some reflective questions to get you to think about the current state of your team. Highlight where you may need to lean in and focus, or maybe we ask Chat GPT to write some thoughtful questions. Write some reflective questions. Yeah. <laughs> G- give us an example. Yeah. GPT four is out today too, by the way. So there you oh, go. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I saw there was an open source version of chat gpt that that came out a couple of days ago too nice lots of innovation so so what are some examples of reflective questions that could let you give you some space to think and and maybe glean some insights for changing how you lead your team well I, i think i shared two one is hey do you think every member of your team is loyal and willing to subjugate their personal agenda to that of the team so that the team wins i think that's one that I mentioned. The other one was, do you have the confidence to say, we have the right people on the team and they're working the problem? Like, can you confidently say, we've got the right people on the team? So th- those are those are my two. I'll, I'll try to find some other ones while you all share some of yours. Or maybe, yeah, also, what are some challenges the team has faced and overcome in the past and what were maybe some reasons behind that? Yeah. There, there could be yeah. there could be one on the is there an elephant in the room you know, that, oh yeah that needs course. to be brought into the light right at, yes. for the team yeah 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 are we working on the current hardest problem yeah yeah I like that I like that a lot you know we haven't yet talked about this but th- there's a part of the chapter where it talks about pairing people establishing peer relationships I didn't spend a too lot of time scrushing up on that one did you all have any thoughts on that or any reactions to the idea of pairing people up? Well, it certainly makes sense from a two heads are better than one. We, we did a lot of pair programming in, in earlier years in my career. It's not the norm now, but that was pretty big. But yeah, it's like if there's a particularly tough problem, you can swarm, get up two or three people and, and work on it. The, the thing that I liked about the pairing people up on projects or decisions is like you can get into some of this like key feedback so there's a survey in the chapter as well. And like to what extent do you agree, disagree that each person demonstrated leadership in the following areas or what differentiates this person and makes them more effective today, that kind of stuff. 
And so it does give a good opportunity to create a feedback loop for self-improvement and, and those kind of things as well, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of, of pairing people up, I think for a lot of the reasons that you already talked about. It, it's also more fun to do things with a partner than it is to do things by yourself, even though it might be a little bit harder, right? Because you have to talk about things. You can't just make unilateral decisions. So you, things might take a little bit longer. Having having that support, it also helps like build relationships, right? I think relationships for the most part are built kind of one-on-one and pairing people up, putting people like in the same trench together to work through problem or work through some some need, I think creates extra opportunities for relationship building, trust building, those sort of things. So I think there's there's a lot of goodness there. Yeah. And if maybe one of the answers to do I have the right team in place is a no. I mean did talk in the book around like team is not quite firing on all cylinders, pair pair them up and go and have the pair solve different problems together as a way to improve the the whole team system instead of just focusing on individual growth. Yeah, it's a better decision, stronger team. This is something I don't do at all. Like, this is a good idea. I don't intentionally think about, usually the team's more self-organizing into Mm -hmm. like a smaller group, but saying, hey, you two go and make a decision about this or get to the bottom of this could be, could be like a fairly easy like tactic to implement that has some long-term benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I have tried this recently and I'm not sure how it's going. Like I, I think, I think some of the, the challenges, the, the problem is not really well defined, but I also, I also think, well, I don't know. I, I don't really have hesitancy around this because I think two people is perfectly fine from an accountability standpoint, but I think I default to, okay, if I'm going to have somebody work on something, it's going to be an individual person so that there is accountability. But I think that can easily extend to two. Right? It's like you both are accountable to getting this thing done. So go work together and figure it out. So I've, I've tried it. I'm probably not doing a good job at equipping those or that pair to do what they need to do. So I've got some, I've got some thinking to do on how to make that work better. How do you feel about being paired, Charles? Like being on the receiving end of a pairing mandate? I loved it when we did pair programming 15 years ago. I can't think of another time when I've been paired with somebody like to go go do something. So I'm not sure how I would feel. I I think I've been... So I I honestly don't know. Like I want to say that I, I would be open to it and I would enjoy it, but I don't... I think it depends on what we would be pairing up to go do, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, so we'll take like an example. So you've been running our thought leadership program that we have, the TLC. Yeah. And what if the mandate was, Charles, I want you to team up with this other vice president, with Robert. Mm-hmm. And I want the two of you to solve the next phase of what POV thought leadership the thought leadership program looks like for our company rather than hey charles i need you to go like figure this out yeah well i mean I, in that situation i would be excited about that excited for the help because it's a it's a pretty big kind of meaty problem to solve for the for the company 
And I also respect Robert. So I think that plays into it too. I think it depends on who you're paired with. I think I would work well with Robert. I think we would complement each other well. And so I think I would be, I would be excited about that and a little bit relieved to get the help. Yeah. So I, there, there's, there's a huge component here of who you're being paired with, I think. Like, yeah. On, yeah. Well, and also the fact that it is a pair versus just like soliciting help from other people. Like it's, we don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm, mm-hmm. cause I'm with you, Charles. I was thinking, oh yeah, there's plenty of stuff I've been paired on, but not really. Yeah. Usually yeah. I just have something, I reach out to somebody or someone asks me for help or whatever. Yeah. But this yeah. is really like the pair is, is the, I don't know, accountability structure. And you have this whole like two in a box idea, which is generally terrible, having sort of two people with broad accountabilities, but assigning two people to, to solve a problem and make a decision, especially that don't work with each other very often. Because like Charles, you and I really never work together. Mm-hmm. So being paired up for, for something would be really interesting. But I, I don't think you could just say the two of you now run this thing. Mm. It's like the two of you go and figure this out or go make this decision or go tackle this problem. And then the pair is dissolved the, and, and yeah, you go into I was something say, else. There's a finite nature to the assignment. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, I'm going to try it. I'll report back. See how yeah. it goes. Yeah, let me know because I'm like I said, I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> well, because I, I was I, thinking I about this it. too. Yeah, like I I normally think of a person that I want to put on something. It's like oh, Fennel or Ben are my go-to for this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I could just say add add one. Pick one and add one. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I think it's doable. I'm also wondering, like, the people you paired together and, and had an issue with, is that because of, like, seniority? Were they trying to chew, chew off, chew too much? I don't, what's the right word? Did they bite off more than they could chew, I guess? No, I, I don't think so. I, I And I'm not really having issues. It's just, it's not, it, oh, it just like feels awkward. Okay. Yeah, it just yeah, it feels awkward because it. it's, it's, I want, for one, they didn't really know each other and work with each other before and so you know, even even though robert i know you and i think would enjoy it there would be some awkwardness at first in figuring out okay how are we gonna we haven't worked together how are we gonna figure this thing out i think it'll go through the whole you know storming forming norming performing or whatever i, I don't i don't think i got that in the right order but I, I think enough. that applies yeah. to pairs too <laughs> and i think we're in a little bit of that yeah, that makes sense. This is a good chapter, y'all. This was... Uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah. We can talk next time. There there are a few sections we did not cover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe next time we'll wrap up chapter four and then move on to the power of love, chapter five. Exciting. was really good. And then the yardstick. <laughs> we are close. Close to the we end. We are, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But yeah, I like spending one more time on chapter four yeah there's some stuff in here we should talk about yeah and then i think chapter six is pretty short yeah just a few pages yeah yeah Yeah. okay cool sounds good it was good chatting with y'all great chatting with you guys yeah enjoy enjoy the rest of your later enjoy spring break yeah later see ya bye